Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we do have an eternal relationship with you. It's not a temporal one. It doesn't come and go, but it's that eternal relationship began even now. Lord, we can have intimate fellowship with you forever and ever and ever. Lord, you love us forever, even though we're unworthy. And Lord, we're going to love you forever because you are worthy. We worship and praise your most holy name. We ask as you go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to see you. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 47. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Continuing to look at the life of Joseph. It's been the main character for many chapters now, and um, I want to say this, you know, even though I've read through this text many, 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 many times and had the blessing of teaching it several times, I don't know about you, but God's really been ministering to me this time through. And He's really been ministering to me personally to have and just a greater sense of application to my own life. Because here's a, a young man, and we've chronicled this over the last several weeks, His life began with great promise and great blessing. You know, Joseph was the most favored son. Joseph was the one that all the other brothers envied. Joseph was the son with the coat of many colors. Joseph was the one that God was appearing to him in dreams and giving clear prophecy when he was a teenager. Joseph was the son of Jacob. He was the son of you know, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's through that family that the Messiah would one day come, not through Joseph, but through Judah. But here he was, the most favored son in the most favored family, chosen by God to be used in a mighty and a powerful way. And his family, again, is flourishing. They're wealthy. They're doing well. God's got his hand on them. God's hands upon him. He's loved dearly by his father, and his future is filled with promise. But as we read through the pages of Joseph's story, you can see this boyish exuberance as he exhibits it when he reveals his dreams to his own brothers. Hey guys, one day you're all going to bow to me. Probably a bad call. You know, again, excited. Hey, look what God, I had a dream last night, and there were all these sheaves, and guess what? And they all bowed, and you were the other ones, and I'm the one you bowed to. Punk. You know, can you just see the big brothers, right? Kind of an attitude. Got a nice coat. Now he's talking about dreams. We're all bound to him. Okay. And at the same time, here's a young man. He's just, you know, I almost just imagine him. No, no guile. Just blown away by everything around him. A blessed young man. Everything's wonderful. His future is extremely bright. He even comes to a point where not only tells his brother, but his mom and dad that they're going to bow down too. And so... Here's a young man, his present couldn't be more blessed, and his future couldn't be brighter. And then in a moment, everything changed. And maybe some of you can relate to this. Everything was going kind of the way maybe you had planned. Maybe you thought your life was going to go in a certain direction. Things were going to happen in a certain way. You had thoughts about what was going to be next. And maybe there was a time that, you know, things were just wonderful. Everything is going so well. And then in one moment, everything changed. That's exactly what happened to Joseph. And as we know, his whole world seemed to fall apart. He goes out at the orders of his father just to go get his brothers. 
you know, a normal event. Hey, your brothers haven't come home yet. Joseph, go out and find them. They're out tending the sheep. And tell them to come on home. I haven't seen them in a while. I need to touch base with them. Imagine Joseph, I don't know what he was doing, but, you know, imagine him just walking along. Maybe he's singing, I don't know, and he's just walking along, and there's his brothers. He finds out where they went. He goes down and finds his brothers, and probably kind of excited to see him. And then he gets there, and they grab a hold of him. They plot, even when he's in a far distance, they see that, that brightly colored cloak, you know, shining in the noonday sun. Here comes the dreamer. What else are you going to tell us today? How about we stomp out his dreams? Here's an idea. Let's throw him in a pit. Let's kill him. Well, and then Reuben, as we know, said, maybe not kill him. How about we throw him in a pit? Reuben's plot was to come back later and let him out. We know that when they threw him in the pit from other texts, that while he was in the pit, he was crying out to them, and they were turning a deaf ear, and then some were mocking his cries. So in a moment, he finds himself in the bottom of a pit. He's crying out to his own brothers, and they're mocking him. Then some time goes, and we know that a caravan came through of slave traders. And they thought, hey, here's a good idea. You know, instead of killing him, we won't get any money for that. Let's sell him. So they sold him for the price of a slave. And all of a sudden, in a matter of probably hours, he went from coat of many colors, bright future, favorite son of his father, going to get his brothers, then in a pit, and now in a caravan, chained up, being drug away to be sold into slavery. Wow, what a turn of events. Now he gets to Egypt, and you can imagine he's in a land he's never seen before, and when he gets there, they speak a different language, they worship false gods. It's a totally different place, he doesn't understand what they're saying, he knows nothing of what's going on around him. And then began... Pastor Dave's opinion, they sold him to be a slave. I imagine them prodding at him and, you know, looking him over like a piece of meat and somebody bidding. And all of a sudden he finds himself being drug off and spoken to in a foreign language he doesn't understand to be taken away to start, become a servant in the house of a man in a pagan land. What happened to, where's dad? Some days must have gone by. Certainly dad's going to come and get me. He didn't know that in the meantime, his brothers had gone back and told their father that he had been mauled by an animal and was dead. Brought back his bloody coat. And so here he finds himself and he's a servant. Now let, let me just say openly and honestly, it wouldn't have taken that much for me to be a complainer. How about you? I think the pit might have been enough. Amen. Someone taking my coat. What do you think you're doing taking my coat? Then you're in a pit. Sold into slavery. Now you don't understand the language. Now you find yourself being a servant. And understand that Joseph is 17 years old. He's not some man who's, you know, of great maturity. He's a teenager. But in the midst of all of that, what does he do? He doesn't murmur. He doesn't complain. He doesn't grow bitter. He doesn't grow angry. He doesn't sit in a corner and pout. Things that some of us might have done. What does he do? Well, okay, I'm a servant. I'm going to be the best servant I can be. And he was such a great servant and that we know that Potiphar elevated him over time to being second in his home. And because everything he touched was so profitable, Potiphar, it says in the Bible, didn't even know how much what he had except for the food that he ate. Everything was in the hands of this Jewish, this Israeli servant. How in the world? What happened? It's because instead of murmuring and complaining in his circumstances, he made a stand for God in the midst of them. And you know what happened? God was glorified. 
Guys, that's for all of us. This has been an exhortation to me week after week. As Christians, we got nothing to complain about. Amen? When we complain, we are questioning God's will. We are questioning God's sovereignty. We are doubting His power. We're doubting His faithfulness. Guys, our God's greater. Amen? Joseph thought his life was going to go in a direction, but it was always God's plan to go in this direction. And we may sit here and question God, but I thought it was going this way. Now, I want to clarify just real briefly. Notice this was happening to Joseph as he was walking in obedience to God. Amen? Sometimes, and most often, the reason we find ourselves in a pit is not because we're obeying God, but because we're disobeying Him. Amen? God gives us direction, He tells us which way to go, and we think we know better, so we go in the other direction, and we find ourselves in a ditch somewhere, getting in trouble. I'm talking not about consequences of sin, I'm talking about the trials that God brings, even as we walk in obedience to Him. It's all part of His plan, may we learn to trust in Him. I'm just loving this Joseph, really am. Because again, I just think about it, family, gone, friends, gone. Present blessings, gone. The certainty that seemed to be before him of a future of promise had been destroyed. It would have been so easy for him to just quit. Some of you here tonight feel like you want to quit. You're doubting God, you're questioning God, maybe you're angry with God, you don't understand. But look at all these circumstances, it just doesn't seem fair. Guys, we got to quit thinking that God's calling for our life is to make us comfortable. Nowhere in Scripture does it say God's calling on our life is to make us comfortable. Amen? His calling is to make us more like Him. And sometimes that might be in a relatively comfortable place, but often it's not. And for Joseph, the ultimate design for his life was that he would become more like God. He's a picture of Jesus Christ in so many ways as we look through the text. He's unjustly accused, as we know, by Potiphar's wife. He's thrown into prison. Things just get worse. Maybe you've gone through a tough time and all of a sudden you think, hey, well, guess what? Things couldn't get worse. They start to get a little bit better. That's what happened. He went from being a servant to a servant kind of in charge of the house. Hey, things aren't so bad. I'm in a position of authority in the house. Uh, you know, I have food to eat. I've learned the language. I'm starting to adapt to my environment. Maybe it's not going to be so bad. Oh, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of adultery. Why did he get in trouble that time? Because he obeyed God, right? He was tempted and he fled. And his reward was prison. Some of you tonight say, but I obeyed God. How come I'm having trouble? I obeyed God and I lost my job. I obeyed God and now part of my family won't talk to me. I obeyed God and I'm catching static. Guys, I'd much rather be in trouble because I've been obedient than be dealing with the consequences of my sin. Amen? So be encouraged. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to be persecuted. May we live lives so sold out for God that we face some persecution once in a while. Amen? People say, oh, I've never been persecuted. You might, you're not standing up for your faith then. Right? Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake. For so they did the prophets who went before you. Joseph was 17 years old. He could have gone to Egypt and fit in with Egypt and become an Egyptian and lived an ungodly world and walked away from God and said, okay, God, you throw me in a pit. I turn my back on you. 
Guys, we don't make deals with God. Amen? We don't give God ultimatums. Amen? Well, God, if you do this, then I'll love you. Um, He's already done enough. Amen? More than enough. So, Joseph, not bitter, not an angry complainer, who was moved by his circumstances, who then would bring shame or disdain for the name of the God that he serves. But Joseph was a faithful and godly man in spite of his circumstances, and his actions brought glory and honor to God. And as we're going to see tonight, he was a blessing not to a few, but to literally everyone he came into contact with. I believe, and I titled the message tonight, a godly man, it could be a godly woman, a godly man is a blessing to others. And not just people who love God. And we're going to see in tonight's text that it didn't matter if it was Potiphar, previous text, jailer, previous text, Pharaoh, tonight, all of Egypt, all of the known world, and even those who mocked him and sold him into slavery, his own brothers. Is that a picture of Jesus or what? He's a blessing to everyone. They need to reach out and accept the blessing he has for them. Even after all his brothers had done, he didn't seek revenge, but to bless them. He didn't lash out, but he wept. He sent them back with food and their money. And the last chapter, when he summoned them to Egypt, Jacob came only after seeking the Lord. And as they were on their way to Egypt, we're going to see in tonight's text, he had two concerns for his brothers. And here were his concerns, showing that he's still a godly man, even as he's second in charge of all of Egypt. The second most powerful man in the known world still focused on what's important, that which is godly. He tells his brothers, Pharaoh's going to ask you what you do when you get here. Tell him you're a shepherd. Here's why you need that significant. Shepherds were looked at as dogs by the Egyptians. As dirty. As not very valuable. Doesn't sound like good advice, does it? Tell him you're a shepherd. Tell him you're a leper. You know, tell them you're something that nobody wants to be around. But here's what he understood. I want them fed physically, but I want them to remain separate spiritually. His heart was, I want them to be here so they can eat and survive the famine, but I do not want them to become like the Egyptians. So if they say that they are shepherds, he's going to give them land, but he's going to give them land out on their own. The Egyptians are going to want nothing to do with them, and that's going to Make sure that God's line through whom the Messiah would come will be untainted by Egypt. See, God wants to provide for us physically in this world, but for us to remain separate spiritually from this world. Amen? It's Joseph. And I love just his heart. Don't be afraid. Tell the truth. You're going to stand before Pharaoh. Intimidating moment. You're going to stand before him. This most powerful man in the world, clothed in no doubt fine linen, walking on marble floors, gold all around you, all the pomp and circumstance. You're going to come before him and he's going to ask you a question and you're going to be tempted because you're a lowly shepherd to make something up. I'm the CEO of IBM. Got seven earned doctorates. Don't check, but I do. And sometimes, you know what, guys, can I tell you something? When you lie, you just left God's will. Amen? Amen? Tell the truth. And that, tell the truth. You're a shepherd. Nothing I should be ashamed of. Better to be a shepherd for the Lord than to be the most wealthy man in the world. Amen? So they're looked down upon. They're hated. 
But praise God, this was wisdom. So, if you're taking notes tonight, a godly man is a blessing to others. First of all, he's a blessing to his family. He imparts wisdom. He brings a godly reputation to his family's name and he helps provide for their physical needs. Number two, a godly man is a blessing to others. He's a blessing to his employer. He acted faithfully on Pharaoh's behalf and at the same time, he's going to treat those he's doing business with fairly. And then finally, he's a comfort to his father. He's a man of his word. Jacob knew when Joseph said something, it meant he was going to do it. And it brought great comfort to his father. So a godly man, a godly woman, is a blessing to others. A blessing to their family, a blessing to their employer, and a blessing to their father. And look what it says. Let's begin there in verse 1. Looking at a godly man, a blessing to others. A blessing to his family. Verse 1 of Genesis 47. That Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. Joseph goes and intercedes with Pharaoh on behalf of his family. Type of Jesus. Amen? What does Jesus do? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And he could have said, my family's coming, and by the way, ten of my eleven brothers are no down, you know, no good, dirty dogs who threw me in a pit, and when they get here, could you drag them behind some chariots for a while? Right? Let me, let me exert a little power on them, Pharaoh. And you know what? Jesus could stand before the Father and say, you see those people down there? They mocked me. They rejected me. They cursed my name. They blasphemed me. They've lived contrary to my word. Lord, smoke them. Father, smoke them. That's not what he says, is it? What does he do? He comes before them. And as he said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He comes intercedes and says, yeah, they're sinners, but you know what? I paid for that sin. I paid for that. They're redeemed. They're forgiven. He intercedes on our behalf. We have an advocate with the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ. Joseph is the advocate with the Pharaoh. Because you've got to understand something. If Joseph had not been there, there's no way in the world these dirty Israeli shepherds would ever get an audience with the most powerful man in the world. There's no way. They probably wouldn't have even got into the land, and if they had, they might have been enslaved, and at the very least, sent away packing. Guys, we cannot come before the Father. We're not worthy to come before Him, amen? And we're dirty in our sin. But the reason we can come is not because of who we are, but because of who we know. They could come before Pharaoh because Joseph was their brother. And we can come before our Heavenly Father because the Bible does tell us that Jesus is our Savior, our Lord, our God. And He's also our brother. Amen? This is good stuff. Bible rocks. Love how it all fits together. It's so good. So Joseph's faithfulness and wisdom before Pharaoh would be an incredible blessing to his whole family. And even though he'd been given great authority, I want you to notice... He could have just brought his family in and said nothing to Pharaoh, but he didn't do that. He still went to Pharaoh, still told them they were coming, and interceded on their behalf. He was a man so in charge, he could have had it done and Pharaoh would have never known. 
But he was submitted to Pharaoh, even though he was a man who had been given great authority. In Matthew 20, 23, when James and John's mother asked if they could be seated at his right and left hand when he entered his kingdom. Mom came in. Lord, when you enter into your kingdom, can my sons be seated at your right and your left hand? Jesus said, you will indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared by my Father. Jesus is God and he was submitted to the Father. Joseph is governor and he submitted to Pharaoh. Great picture here. Next time you think you shouldn't submit to somebody, remember Jesus. Amen? Fully God, creator of the universe, freely submitted to the Father. You know what though? Isn't it easy? We struggle, but it's easy to desire, certainly, to submit to Jesus because of who he is. And the same is true when a husband is a godly husband, it's easy for a wife to submit to him. And when parents are godly parents, it's easier for their kids to submit to them. But guys, we submit whether they're godly or not. We submit whether they're always faithful or not. So Joseph, interceding on behalf of his family, I pray that we would learn to intercede on behalf of our families, to pray for them, to minister to them through the word, and to submit to those who God has placed in authority over us and be an example. So Pharaoh hears from Joseph, his right-hand man, the man who he trusts with everything, the man who was a slave, then a prisoner, and now a second in charge of all of Egypt. And he says to Pharaoh, continuing, And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. So he brings five shepherds. Five, no doubt, dirty from their trip, common, everyday shepherds, and bring them before Pharaoh. What's amazing is, if they'd come on their own, as I said before, they would have been thrown out. If If Joseph had said, these guys enslave me, they would have been thrown out. Or worse, could have been put to death. But since they were with Joseph, they were welcomed with open arms. Guys, heaven, we're going to stand before him. And when we get there, we're deserving of hellfire, separation for all eternity. But because we're with Jesus, we're going to be welcomed with open arms. Amen? Guys, it doesn't get any better than that. You can't say amen to that. You're asleep. Amen? Well, what about the economy? Yeah, what about this? What about that? We're going to heaven. We're going to be greeted with open arms and we're going to spend eternity in the presence of Almighty God. Guys, doesn't get better. I just want to be sad right now. Stop trying to cheer me up. Had a bad day. I want to moan. I want to whine. I want to complain. He takes them and he presents them to Pharaoh. They're standing before him. And the question comes. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? Now, they have a choice. Listen to what our brother said or do something else. 
Guys, when we're brought to that position, there's a divine appointment in front of us. We can do one of two things. We can respond in the way that our Savior would have us respond, or we can do something else. In this case, they were given clear instructions. To say they were shepherds would mean they were an abomination in Egypt, unworthy position. But notice, because of who they know, it's not going to be treated that way. And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. Joseph gave them direct instruction, and they responded in obedience to it. When the Lord gives us instruction, may we respond in obedience to his word. We should heed the word of the Lord and his wise counsel. Not question it, not doubt it, not try to change it, not try to circumvent it, not try to go around it. We're not to add to the word of God, amen? The Word of God is sufficient. I've had this discussion several times this week already with Christians. But Pastor Dave, how does it address this? What about that? Are you telling me God's not sufficient? You need to get to know the God, the true and living God of the Word of God, and you'll stop questioning Him. Amen? He's greater still. His Word is sufficient. He's faithful. He's God. He knows what He's doing. Let's trust Him. Amen? Don't doubt Him. Don't question Him. Follow Him. He's faithful. Told you I like this chapter. I'd like this Bible. It's good stuff. Amen? Amen. Now, look at verse 4. Notice how they respond. They tell the truth, and then what? And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of of Goshen. Notice when they come, they come confessing their desperation, their famine, the fact that they're going to die, the fact that they're in trouble, the fact that they have no hope. Guys, that's how we come to the Lord. We come to Him recognizing, in their case, if we can't come here, we're going to die. If we don't come to the Father through the Son, we are going to spend eternity separated from Almighty God. We come to Him in desperation. Lord, I need you. You're it. You're the only answer. You're my only hope. Guys, he's not a way, a path. He's the way and the path. Amen? He's not an option. He's it. No one else to turn to. Nowhere else to go. They completely, transparently come before Pharaoh and say, here's our situation. We're desperate. Guys, it's so dumb to lie to God. He knows you're lying. Amen? Well, Lord, actually, things are going pretty well right now. and I'm... No, they're not. I'm with you always. Amen? I saw you when you were totally blowing it when nobody else did. But what's amazing is, he that knows me best loves me most. Isn't that good? He knows every wicked vile thing we've all ever done, things we would never want anyone else to know, and if we were going to play them on the screen behind us, you'd be running out of the building like it was on fire. Amen? He knows all of that, and he still loves us. That's the God we serve. And he comes in confessing and desperate. Pharaoh's not God, I know. I'm just showing you the type and the picture here. That they listened to Joseph. They heeded his wise counsel. They didn't pretend to be something they weren't. They came instead broken and desperate. Verse 5. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph. Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men 
among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Here's the fruit of Joseph's faithfulness. Joseph's entire family is blessed having just met them because he knows Joseph's heart. You know what, Joseph, I know you. If this is your family, I want to bless them because of who you are. That's good stuff, amen? I pray we would live in such a way that we would have such a reputation that we would be so sold out for the Lord and so loving and so gracious and such servants that when people hear the name Christian, they would think of us and that our behavior would cause those people to think of Christianity in a good light. Amen? And when someone else meets another Christian, they would say, oh, I know that Christian. If you're like him, oh, then I want to be hanging out with you. Lord, help us to have that reputation. Amen? Help us, Lord, to live in such a way that instead of bringing mockery to your name, that it causes others to glorify your name. Joseph had been a blessing to him and to his kingdom. He had averted the famine. He had interpreted the dream. And Pharaoh thought we would have been in trouble had he not been here. And because of it, Joseph's family was blessed even though they did nothing to deserve it. This is a picture of God's grace. Amen? Jesus did everything. We did nothing. We do not deserve grace. But because of what he did, we're going to receive it. The rest of the family had done nothing good. Joseph had been the faithful one, but because of the fact that he had done it, they were going to receive grace. Again, Joseph, another picture, another type of our Savior. He gave Joseph the ability to bless his brothers. You know what? Give him the best of the land. He had witnessed the prosperity of Joseph and because of that, he said, matter of fact, give him the best of the land. And Joseph, you think any of your brothers is good enough? Let them oversee all of my livestock. Not just their own, but all of mine too. We don't see it recorded that that happened. But the point is this, the faith of Pharaoh and Joseph is so strong that he's willing to let Joseph make the call as to who, which one of his brothers, again, a lowly shepherd, he's going to have oversee all of his wealth in a sense. All, certainly all the, the animal wealth that he had. I just love this picture. And I just pray again, as I've you know, been convicting to me, Lord, I pray I would be such a man at work that my boss would say, hey, Dave, if you know him, I want him. If you recommend him, bring him in. And I've been blessed that God's actually done that many times at work. You know what? Do you have any more people like you at work? Get, bring them in. Lord, help us to live that way, amen? So Joseph didn't get even, didn't drag him behind chariots, He's going to give him the best of the land. I like that. Lord, help us to learn from his actions. So Joseph now is going to bring his father in. Then Joseph brought in his father, verse 7, Jacob, and set him before Pharaoh. And I love this. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now you've got to watch this scene for a second. In comes, as we're about to see, a 130-year-old Jacob who's been living out in the desert, in the land of Canaan, right? covered in dirt, made a long trip. He walks in this, I mean, just imagining this, you know, palace of, you know, marble and gold and 
you know, great shining things. You've got to understand something. The Bible says the greater blesses the lesser. Right? And Jacob, you can imagine him, you know, shuffling in. I, I don't know how a 130-year-old man walks, but I know he's not leaping. You can just see little cute Jacob coming in there, walking in. And he goes right up to Pharaoh, not impressed by the marble, not impressed by what's around him. What does he do? He goes and lays his hand on Pharaoh and blesses him. I really like that. You know, Jacob here, that's a spiritual perspective, not a physical one. Amen? He's not crying out, hey, bless me, bless me, give me, can you? He's like, you know what, let me bless you. And can you imagine, I think at least in part, if not in a great part, He's blessing Pharaoh, and as he blesses him, he's blessing him for taking such good care of his son. Amen? His son he hadn't seen for 20 years. He's seen him again, and he's doing great. And he goes in and he blesses Pharaoh. The lesser is blessed by the greater, it says in Hebrews 7, 7. Pharaoh was more wealthy He was more powerful from the world's perspective, but Jacob was the more blessed man. Amen? Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And again, this is why I imagine him come shuffling in. I don't know how Pharaoh's responding. Like he comes in and blesses him and he's like, oh, that's sweet. You know, how old are you? You look kind of, you know, how old are you? You can understand something. The Egyptians... The Egyptians, you don't see the record of them living as long. And they wonder, what the, how, how old are you? We don't have the benefit of the doubt in Scripture. We don't know how it was said. but And no doubt he's curious to learn more about Jacob because this is the father of the wisest man he's ever met. You know, I don't know you, but I know your son. I want to know you. Because your son's the wisest man I've ever met. Your son saved this entire planet from starvation. Your son is the reason I'm still standing here. We'd all be dead by now if it wasn't for your son. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I want to get to know you. You know, it's interesting. When Jacob blesses him, he had blessed him using the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true and living God. And Pharaoh doesn't rebuke him. Even though... They were told to tell the truth. Notice there's no shyness in Jacob standing up for the truth or his faith. He says it with boldness. He blesses him. He's being obedient to the Lord. And now he's going to seek his source of wisdom. Verse 9. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. 130 years old. Notice he says the days of his pilgrimage. Jacob understood that this is not his home. Amen? If you didn't know that, this is not our home, and praise God. Amen? We're just aliens here. He says it's a pilgrimage. We're just passing through. He's been passing through for 130 years, but he's just passing through. This is not my final destination. I may have been here a while. But guess what? 130 years compared to eternity is nothing. Amen? But a vapor. He's given some serious instruction to Pharaoh. I lived 130 years, but just a pilgrimage. It's not much time. And then he says this. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. 
few and evil. I'm 130. It's been a few days. Hasn't been very long. 130 years, nothing compared to eternity. Again, eternal perspective. He numbers the days of his life. The Bible says in Psalms, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom to evaluate the use of time in light of eternity. His days were few. Though he lived 130 years, they seemed to him but a few days in comparison with eternity, where the Bible says a day is to a thousand years as a thousand years is to a day. So in that relative term, he's lived about an hour. Right? Been like that. My days have been few. I don't know about you, but every year you get older, doesn't it seem like time just flying by? Called on, I call on customers, it's amazing. I, call, I see them once a year. I call on customers and they'll go, didn't you just, weren't you just out here like last month? Uh, no, that was March of 2008. What? No, that's not possible. Yes, it is. Life is but a vapor, amen? It's blowing by. We have so little time. We need to live every day in light of eternity. My days are but a few days. But he also says they were evil. He's not complaining. He knew God had preserved him through it all. But like today, he lived in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. And indeed, his days have been hard. Just a quick review of Jacob's life so far. He was unfavored by his father. Remember Jacob and Esau? His dad loved his brother more. He was hated by Esau. He had to flee in fear for his life and live 20 years away from his family. He would never see his mom again after running away. Uncle Laban deceived him after he worked seven years for Rachel and made him work seven more. He worked 20 years for his Uncle Laban who tried to steal from him every single year by changing his wages 20 times, ripping him off everywhere that he could. When he was traveling back, he got a wrestling match with God. How did that work out? His hip was pulled out of socket. He had to be broken because a man who is broken, man is the only thing that becomes more valuable when broken. He had a daughter named Dinah who went out to see the daughters of the land and she ended up getting raped. Well, after she was raped, two of his sons came up with a scheme and ended up killing all the Shechemites while the other sons took all the spoils. And now he was in fear for all the surrounding lands coming upon him. The love of his life, Rachel, died in childbirth. He lived 20 years thinking Joseph, his favorite son, was dead. This is just a few things that have happened in this man's life. And this is a list of great hardships. But you know what? His days have been evil, they've been few, they've been difficult. But God's still faithful. And God still used Jacob mightily. And he's not complaining. And what's great about that is we get a little taste of where Joseph got his character. Joseph is a faithful and a godly man. Then he says they were short of my father's days. Look what he says here. The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days and the years of my life, and they have not attained to the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. He didn't live as long. He's not going to live as long as either Isaac or Abraham, 180 and 175. He's 130. You know, it's interesting. All you got to do is go to the time of the flood. Prior to the flood, you see people living 900 years, 800 years. After the flood, the water canopy comes down, you know, the UV rays hitting the lifespans got shorter almost immediately. And so you see that over time. And each generation getting a little shorter and shorter. And now we've come to Jacob and he's going to live about 30 years less than his father. 
You know, as a young man, the Bible says that a young man's pride is in his strength. We should not be proud of our strength, our looks, or anything else. Neither should an old man be proud of his age. I mean, it's wisdom, and praise God for it. Amen? But in the midst of all of it, he's saying, you know what? Few have been my days. They've been evil. They've been difficult. There have been trials. And then, I love this. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before him. Jacob blessed him twice. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Not Pharaoh blessing, blessing Jacob. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. He prayed for him as one having authority. Again, he's standing before the most powerful man in the world. Let me just tell you this right now. If you stood before the President of the United States of America, you should be praying for him. Amen? He may have the authority from the world's perspective, but you have the ability to come before Almighty God and intercede on His behalf because you know Jesus Christ. Amen? Sometimes we get things messed up. We think, you know, we need to go to them for help. The help needs to come the other way around. Jacob was God's anointed. Not impressed with his surroundings, but a, a man who didn't see the king for of the Pharaoh for being somebody above him in any way, but instead realizing that that man needed God's help. And he prayed for him. And he blessed him. Verse 11. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number of their families says in Psalm 37, In the days of famine they shall be satisfied. There was the greatest famine in the history of the planet, and God provided for His people. Guys, in the maybe the greatest, since the Great Depression, difficulty in economy in this country, God is going to provide for His people. Amen? There was a great famine. Hitting the entire world, God provided for His people. He promises to provide for us. Amen? But notice when He dropped manna from the sky. When we get to Exodus, well, we already did. You have to listen to the tapes. But in Exodus, when He drops manna from the sky, He didn't drop it into their mouths. Amen? They had to get up every day and go out and pick it up. Guys, God provides for us, but He still expects us to get up out of the tent and go out and pick it up. Amen? He's the provider. He will provide. But He doesn't provide for the lazy. Amen? Man who does not work shall not eat. It's God, not the economy, that feeds us. God's faithful. Our, our hope's in Him. Amen? So Joseph provides for his family. And notice what it says at the end of that verse. According to the number of their families. Now you would think that there would be a temptation here to give them double or triple. Right? After all, this is my family and I'm in charge of the food. Back up the silo and drop it at dad's house. Right? Just load them up. You know what though? He gave them just what they needed. This is a picture of the Lord again. Amen? He promises to give us not what we want, but what we need. Amen? Often we're dissatisfied because we want so much more than we need, and then we get mad at God. 
I love that he's being faithful because he's not only thinking of his family, but all the other families that need to be fed too. And he doesn't say, okay, I'm going to give my families five times as much and some people are going to go without. Again, picture of the Lord. May we learn from Joseph's example and blessing of his family. He imparts wisdom. He brings favor and a godly reputation to them. And then he provides for their physical needs. Second point, a godly man is a blessing to others. He's a blessing to his employer. Joseph, an instrument of God's provision for his family, would now be a tool used to preserve the entire kingdom of Egypt as well. Once his family was taken care of, again, his first priority, Joseph is going to turn his diligence toward Pharaoh and Egypt. Pharaoh had dwelt, dealt graciously, graciously with God's people. Now God's going to deal graciously with Pharaoh. Verse 13. And there was no bread in all of the land, for the famine was very severe. So that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. So as the days wore on, the famine grew worse and worse. There was no relief in sight, and the people had to continue to come by grain from Joseph. Why? Because he was the only one who, when upon hearing the dream, went about and put in a plan in place that would take 20% of each year's of the seven years of plenty and set it aside so they would have grain. The word, no doubt, went out to everyone else. They just chose not to listen. So now, when times of famine come, they need to come to Joseph to buy grain. Verse 14. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan for the grain which they brought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Joseph had been a good and wise steward in preparation for the famine. And now the money comes, and what does he do? He doesn't keep it for himself He brings it to the employer. He was the one who God used to reveal the direction that they needed to take, but instead of taking credit for it, he allows again God to be glorified, but he still brings it all back to the one who employs him. You know, sometimes we think, well, I came up with a good idea. He should pay me more. Well, if he won't, I'll just get it my own way. You've heard me say, I had an uncle who used to say, all employees steal. I said, oh, come on, all employees don't steal. Yeah, they do. I just have to keep it to a minimum. And I'm like, all employees don't steal? Really? How about coming in late? Getting paid, right? Not here. How about taking a long lunch? Getting paid, they're not here. How about leaving early? Getting paid, they're not here. How about calling someone long distance from work? Letting the company pay for it. Oh, how about making copies or doing this? He went down the list of things. He goes, look, they all steal. Joseph is in a position where he could have stolen, no one would have known, and instead, every dime that came, he brought it and gave it to the employer. A godly man is a blessing to others, not just his family, but also to the one who employs him. So in verse 15, the money failed in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan. All the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence, for all the money has failed. So eventually, all the people's money ran out, and they had to come humbly to Joseph again. They had not heeded the godly counsel in preparing for the famine, as Joseph had. And again, this is a picture of God's mercy. God says, do this. We do the opposite. Prepare for the famine. I'm not going to worry about it. i got enough right now. Instead of setting some aside, instead of being good stewards with our finances, we live to the nth degree all the time. And then when famine comes or difficulty comes or we get laid off, we yell at God. I was providing for you for seven years of plenty. Why didn't you set some aside? Amen? Lord, help us. 
Set some aside. Be good stewards. Not spend all you can, you know, spend all you can, can all you get, spoil the rest, nobody else can have any. You know, that's kind of our mentality. Every dime I get, got to spend it. And then we have credit cards. We spend money we haven't even got yet. I'm going to spend the money I'm going to get at some point, right? And then I'll pay interest on the money I'm going to get. And Well, it's bad, bad, bad idea. Not working out so well. Ask the banks, amen? God's way is, let's learn to live on less. God's faithful to provide. Not his fault we run out. It's our fault. We need to learn to live in a way more honoring to him. So what happens? They ran out of money. Now they don't have money, so now what are they going to do? All the money's gone. All the mo- Pharaoh's got all the money now. So verse 16, Jer- Joseph said, Give me your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for their horses and flocks and cattle of the herds for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. Now, they ran out of money, so now they're giving up all their cattle. And you might think, well, isn't this kind of unfair? Well, wait a minute. Why is it they have to give up their cattle? Because they didn't heed godly counsel when they should have. Amen? They should have been putting stuff aside. If they had, this wouldn't be happening. And here's, sometimes God will do this to us because he loves us. He will make us realize the value of something so next time we won't be so loose with it. Amen? Ooh, whoops. I disobeyed God. I ran out. That was a bad idea. I don't think I want to do that again. Here's what happens. Guys, I told you. I told you the famine was coming. Oh, you're out of money? Guess what? Bring the cattle. Oh, no. We don't have money or cattle anymore. What are we going to do now? Verse 18. When that year ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also our herds and our livestock. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. We've got nothing left. And there's still several more years left in this famine. Why should we die, verse 19, before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. They offered to sell their land in exchange for bread. They offered to make themselves slaves in exchange for bread. They disregarded godly counsel. They lived for today, and now tomorrow had come. Who else has done that besides me? I'll worry about it tomorrow. Tomorrow comes. Amen? I'll buy it now because I want it now, and then tomorrow I'll just worry about tomorrow. Then you open up the Discover bill. Oh, right? It comes. Guess what? They were living for today. Tomorrow came. And now they have nothing left to give but themselves. You know, sometimes God will do that. Bring us to the end of ourselves. So now we have to surrender ourselves to Him, which is what we should have done all along. Amen? Lord, do whatever it takes to cause me to surrender completely unto You. How many of these people do you think would have liked to have gone back a few years and set some stuff aside now? The lesson needed to be learned. Man today living for the pleasures of now, disregarding of the consequences that will come next. And this is a picture of the plagues that again would come. God's people dwelt in the fat of the land, feeding, feeding plentifully at no cost, while the godless Egyptians were dying of want. Why? 
Because God provides for those who follow after Him. And what do they need? What do they cry out for in desperation? Seed. In the Bible, seed is a picture of God's Word. Amen? The parable of the sower. And what they needed in their desperation was seed that they might survive. What we need in our spiritual desperation is the Word of God to bring us the truth that we too might have eternal life. Amen? Verse 20. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his fill because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. This seems like he's kind of a tyrant. So Pharaoh has all the money and all the land now. How did that happen? He's got a great employee. Right? Joseph's a faithful man. You might think, this doesn't seem right. How godly is this? Again, the people needed to learn the lesson that putting off till tomorrow would bring about consequences. They need to understand that disregarding godly counsel would result in godly consequences. Too often people will come to you and they want you to rescue them from the consequences of their sin. Sometimes we need to say no. Amen? I love you, I'll pray for you, but the consequences exist for a reason. We'll give $5,000 to a faithful believer to bail him out of trouble, but not 50 cents to prop up someone's sinful behavior. Amen? And here we have it. Guys, you lost it all. Why did you lose it? Because you disregarded God's call. You disregarded God's command. You disregarded wise counsel. They told you what to do. You did the opposite. Here you find yourself. God loves us enough to discipline us. Then it says in verse 21, And as for the people, he moved them into cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other. So Joseph brings them into cities that they might better serve Pharaoh. Joseph plays those in his care in the positions that would bring the most fruit to his master. Verse 22. Only the land of the priest he did not buy. For the priest had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. Now, we know he's talking about these pagan priests, but it's interesting that the Bible speaks of the same principle. Let the elders be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and in doctrine. 1 Timothy 5.18 says, You shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. A pastor's motive should never be for worldly riches, but as a church, we should provide for those who God uses to minister to us. Amen? Not begrudge it. Our system pastors, our missionaries, those who God uses to minister to us, we should provide for them. We see this principle even amongst a pagan pharaoh. Verse 23, Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is your seed, and you shall sow the land. Now watch this. And it shall come to pass in the harvest, you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Now wait a minute. How much of the land was Pharaoh's? All of it. How much of the seed was Pharaoh's? How much of the money was Pharaoh's? He could have said, go back, till the seed, keep enough to feed your family, bring the rest to us. That's not what he did. He said, go back, take the seed, work the land, keep 80% for yourself, give 20% to Pharaoh. You know what? Everything we have belongs to God. Amen? And even if we tithe, God lets us keep 90% of his stuff. And some of us complain about that and think that's wrong. Amen? It's all God's, isn't it? 
We can often find out where our heart is by looking in our checkbook. Amen? That's where our priorities are. Where do you spend your money? What do you invest in? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you're new to Calvary Chapel, ask anybody around you. We don't talk about money around here. We trust that where God guides, God provides. Amen? But guys, it's all His, isn't it? And right here, He's teaching them a principle. Look, it's all Pharaoh's, but you're going to keep 80% of it. Just bring back 20. That's gracious. Amen? He saved their lives. Now notice how they respond. You would think that they'd be upset. Four fish shall be your own as the seed of the field for your food, for those of your households, as your food for the little ones. Then he says this. So they said, you low-down dirty dog, you stole all our stuff. That's not fair. Is that what they said? What does it say? You have saved our lives. You saved our lives. 20%? They're like, 20%? That's unfair. You know what they said? 20%. You don't let me keep 80? I put myself in this mess. It's my fault. You've saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. Joseph deals not only graciously with his employer, but those he does business with. Notice that? Guys, when we've been rescued from a, an impending and painful death, it's a joy, not a drudgery, to serve the one who saves us. Amen? Let us be your servants. We were going to starve. We didn't think there was anything else we could give. You're going to let us keep 80% of what we grow. Let us be your servants. Lord, I was lost, but you found me. You delivered me. You saved me. You mean I get to go to heaven? Let me serve you completely. Amen? God is faithful. Verse 26, And Joseph made it law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priest only, which did not become Pharaoh's. Joseph's actions both blessed his employer and saved the lives of his people. He acted faithfully on his employer's behalf, did his job as unto the Lord, and he treated those he did business with fairly. Every godly man, every godly woman should do the same. Do your job in a way that honors the Lord and treat those you do business with fairly because that's what the Lord wants you to do. Amen? Last point. We'll go through this quickly. A godly man is a blessing to others, a blessing to his family, a blessing to his employers, and a comfort to his father. Notice how this chapter ends. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. We know that 400 years later in Goshen, the 70 people who showed up there will now be between 2 and 3 million. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. You know what I love about this? His son was 17 when he left and he didn't see him anymore. But yet he got to spend 17 more years with him in Egypt. Love how God does that. It's a gracious God, a merciful God. They entered into Goshen. Joseph had 17 more years with his dad. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, that's Jacob, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt. Back when we looked at Abraham, putting the hand under the thigh, under the loins, was a uh, solemn oath and commitment that if I do not keep my word, then my descendants are going to come after you. I mean, it was a solemn oath that you could take. Make this oath to me. Then he says this, 
But let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. You know what I love about this? Jacob's dying declaration is this. I believe that this is not our permanent home. Heaven's his ultimate home. But I also know that God promised to give us Canaan. And I do not want to be buried in Egypt. I want to be buried in Canaan because that's where my descendants are going to live. Even as he was living in Egypt in a time of famine, he still trusted God's promise that the land of promise would one day be indwelt by Israel. Guys, even in the midst of the most difficult time, we need to trust God's promises. Amen? He's faithful. Finally, he said, Swear to me, and he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of his bed. After his son swore to him, Jacob bows his head on the edge of his bed, no doubt giving praise to God. Now, young Joseph, when was thrown into a pit, he could have murmured. When he was sold into slavery, he could have doubted and questioned God. When he was falsely accused of adultery, he could have said, okay, that's it. I can't take any more. When he was thrown into prison, he could have said, you know, God, I've tried to serve you. This isn't working. I quit. When asked to interpret the dream for Pharaoh, he could have said, how much money are you going to pay me? Instead, he gave God the glory. See, you've got to understand that when we're in the midst of the trials, God's preparing us for moments like this. Joseph became a mighty man used mightily by God because he was a man who was faithful to God when things were tough. In the midst of the trials, in the midst of difficulty, A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Guys, our faith's being put to the test, some of us tonight, no doubt. In the midst of this, don't turn from God, but run to Him. Don't doubt God, don't question God, but trust Him. It wasn't the plan that you had for your life, but praise God He doesn't give us our plans, because it would be a mess. Amen? His ways are better than our ways. Joseph in conclusion, is an example of a godly man who is a blessing to others. He was a blessing to his family. He imparted wisdom. He brought favor and a godly reputation to his family's name, and he provided for them. Secondly, he's a blessing to his employer. He acted faithfully on his employer's behalf, but he treated those he did business with fairly. And then finally, he was a comfort to his father, because once he swore to his father he would do something, his father praised God because he knew that his son was a man of his word. Lord, help us to learn from young Joseph. Amen? May we follow this example. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Thank you and praise you for the applications that this young Joseph, and now a a growing older Joseph, he's such a faithful and a godly man in in spite of the incredible circumstances and trials of life. Lord, I don't even know what everybody in this room is going through right now, but Lord, you do. And Lord, I pray no matter what it is, if it's a time of plenty, may we be those who set aside for times of famine. Lord, if it's a time of famine, Lord, I pray that we would not run from you, but to you. Continue to trust in you, not doubt you, not question you, but press in. Lord, we love you and we thank you and praise you for the promises in your word. Lord, give us an eternal perspective. Help us to recognize that these days are but for a moment. These days are so few. But Lord, we're going to have eternity in your presence. Lord, do whatever it takes to mold us more into your image. May we be desperate. May we lay our lives at your feet. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.